Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. It is time once again to step out, step up, and step into living your life uncloseted. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. And just a quick reminder that if you're really struggling, trying to find that way to live an unapologetic life and be uncloseted in everything that you do, don't forget to hop over onto the website and go to nofearsnoexcuses.com, take the Life Uncloseted assessment and check out what you could be doing differently. It's a quick little assessment. It's that thing that guides you to starting to live your life without apologies and really start moving forward. So now let's dive into today's show. One of the things that I am passionate, 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 passionate about is being very diverse and inclusive in my own life. And most of you who've been listening know I'm a pretty diverse guy. I do lots of different things in my life. I have lots of different perspectives. And of course, I'm a gay guy, so that makes me diverse in my own right. I'm also a bald guy, so that makes me even more diverse. But what (laughs) I really enjoy is finding people like our guest today who has that same kind of passion. And it grew out of her experiences in a lot of different places, predominantly working with people in hospitality, being in that arena. And then suddenly the whole LGBTQ wedding thing started to happen. And then a lot of people in the global wedding and travel industry were like, what do we do with this? How do we handle this stuff? And then suddenly the fairy godmother of Bernadette Smith showed up to teach everybody how all this is done. But um, I'm kind of kidding, but not kidding, because she has become known as somebody who is very, very good at helping people understand the diversity and inclusion world and not just LGBTQ. So I thought it would be pretty cool to have a really candid conversation, given where we are in our world these days, about what does diversity and inclusion look like? How do you have those conversations? And how, if you're struggling, even as an LGBTQ person, how do you stand out in your crowd at work and take a stand? So time for me to shut up. Welcome to the show, Bernadette. Really excited to have you here. Thanks, Rick. It's really, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so you have been doing this work for quite a while, and um, you kind of grew out of this because, you know, you saw a need. You saw the suddenly the LGBTQ stuff starting to happen in the wedding industry, and then lo and behold, you said, I'm going to like start to walk into it. So why don't you give us a little backstory there on like what really brought you here? Back in 2004, I was living in Boston and working for a nonprofit organization planning their events. And I had done some other nonprofit event planning as well. One day on my way to work, I heard on the news on on national public radio that the state's highest court was going to be ruling that day. So this was November 2003, was going to be ruling that day about a marriage equality case that had come before the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So I got to work and I was refreshing my screen and eagerly awaiting the news. And a few hours later, the ruling came down that it was illegal to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation when issuing marriage licenses. So in that period of time, before the law went into effect, there was a six-month period of time, mm-hmm. 
And there were all of these protests outside the Massachusetts State House. There were public hearings. There were people trying to change the Constitution. It was just a, uh, it was a historic time. And I was going to the State House on my lunch break and after work and just really getting caught up in the momentum of all of this and looking around at all of these couples, some of whom had been together for decades. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, I think this is going to happen. I think this is going to take effect. I don't think the constitution is going to be changed and someone's got to plan the weddings. Mm -hmm. And as I was looking at the couples who clearly were, you know, in love and together for so long, I looked across the street and I saw all of the protesters who were against them. Mm -hmm. And I knew that these couples were likely to experience some challenges planning their weddings in an industry which wasn't quite ready for them. And there were some good chances that they could experience some discrimination. So pretty much right then and there on the Massachusetts state house steps, I decided I'm going to be a gay wedding planner, (laughs) but my vision was to be an activist. Mm -hmm. It was to help couples navigate a traditional industry. That's very bride and groom centric. It still is actually. Yeah, very much so. And to keep them free from discrimination. Back then, only about a third of Americans actually supported marriage equality. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you know, well over 60%. Right. It's changed a lot in the 15 years since. But that was, uh, that was how it all began back Mm -hmm. in 2004. That's so interesting. And before we, we started recording, Burdenette and I were having this conversation that, that's actually when I got this wild hair up my ass that I was going to have this gay wedding site where people could list their businesses and everything. And I'm, I'm glad I experienced it. Um, UltimateGayWeddings.com was actually the name of the business at that time. And it was kind of funny. And, and being a branding guy, I'm like, I should have known better. I should have known better. Suddenly, as soon as I launched the site, I had people contacting me like, well, how can you help me plan my wedding? I'm like, I don't plan weddings. I'm, it's just a listing site. So it was like a miss on the, you know, the branding <laughs> side. But that was okay because I got to know a lot of good people and I got involved in a lot of different things. Uh, but it was eye-opening to me, which it sounds like very similar to you, to see, wow, these are things we never really thought about. You know, how are how our floors going to talk to people? How are you know, tuxedo and bridal gown place is going to talk about this sort of stuff. And before you know it, there's suddenly this whole checklist of, wow, here's all these businesses that don't have a clue mm-hmm. how to even have a conversation about this. That's and right. It's, it's been such an interesting journey to watch where we've come. What do you feel like you've seen change the most from that moment to where we are currently? Well, besides the societal acceptance, I mean, that's been super significant and now of course it's legal across the whole country right um so those things i i guess are the the biggest changes the other thing that's been significant is that it's kind of normalized now which is why Mm -hmm. i'm I'm a retired wedding planner right um so to to continue the story you know back in the day most of my clients were older they'd been together for a long time and their weddings were pretty non-traditional. They weren't so much yep. having wedding parties. They probably weren't having religious ceremonies. They were really bucking tradition in many ways. Right. 
as time went on, and then I, I later moved to New York City and started planning weddings there, I started seeing more and more younger, younger couples, couples my age and younger, mm-hmm. who were planning weddings. They had the support of their family, which was incredible in many cases, or their, their family was even in some cases paying for the wedding. Mm-hmm. And the, what I started to see was my activist role was less important, mm-hmm. right? Especially in New York, right? New York City. Sure you know, most vendors or most wedding professionals are going to be pretty on board, even mm-hmm. if they mess up a little bit or they don't have the right inclusive forms, mostly they're going to be on board. Right. A few years before that, when social media was invented, I started connecting with wedding professionals all around the world who were asking me things like, hey, what's the difference between a gay wedding and a straight wedding? Can you tell me how all of this works? And that's when I started moving beyond just working with couples mm-hmm. and working with the industry. I created some curriculum, started speaking at conferences, wrote three books mm-hmm. and really knew that the impact I could have was much more significant than the couples that I was working with and their families, but actually right. on the industry as a whole. And the industry has shifted in, in mm-hmm. many ways since then. I still remember so about the time I was doing the whole ultimate gay wedding site and everything, and there was gayweddings.com. And, you know, I was trying in my own right, I was trying to compete with them. And then I remember when they finally signed the agreement to work with the not or not.com or the not.com, which was still is kind of a very much a go-to sort of space for wedding planning. And I thought, this is pretty cool. <laughs> Mm-hmm. this is pretty major here. This is like, okay, we just had a huge shift. And that was kind of by the time I was like, I'm kind of done doing this thing. But to see that come to life, it was just yet another affirmation of, okay, we are moving. And I remember sitting there that day and just kind of, cause I worked from home. I had my own business at that point in time and just thinking, wow, this must be what it feels like when, you know, you're an African-American or black person and a white couple when finally that kind of started to be okay. And then as a woman suffragette, when you could finally vote, I'm like, this is, I'm starting to see what those feelings really feel like, even though we'd already gone through the whole gay wedding, you know, everybody being able to get married. It's just every time there's a step like this, even as I'm speaking about it right now, I feel a little goosebumps because it's like, wow, we can impact and change the world if we just stay steady and what we're trying to do. So you come from there, but then suddenly you realize, oh, there's this big oyster of a world out here that doesn't know how to have these conversations. So talk us through how that started to be the next step you took and not just beyond the gay weddings, but you started going outside of that and into other companies. It started when I was working with hotels and doing private trainings for hotels and catering companies. And they would start sending people who were not in the weddings department. Mm. Mm -hmm. They would start sending operations folks, people who were in banquets, food and beverage directors, banquet captains, restaurant managers, uh, general managers, marketing people. And they would attend bits and pieces of my full day training. Mm Mm-hmm. So the full day training was weddings focused. Uh, Well, I mean, I guess breaking it down, 
only a third of it was weddings focused. You know, the mm-hmm. first third was really about language and terminology and the laws and sure. gender identity. And, and the last part was about marketing. And so different people from the hotel beyond just the wedding staff started to attend. And I realized that I could have a much bigger impact on the world by expanding my offerings a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it just started to happen very naturally. And my business now is focused on inclusion beyond LGBTQ and yep. inclusion beyond the weddings and travel industries. I'm just so passionate about doing my part to create a world where everyone feels safe yep. carrying themselves with dignity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, the safety piece is really huge. Yep. And it's a big part of my why. Mm-hmm. A few years into my wedding planning business, I worked with a transgender woman who contacted me and she said she wanted me to keep her safe while she was planning her wedding to a woman. And she asked me to help her become the bride she'd always dreamed of. And here's a woman who's about 60 years old, right? Having mm-hmm. finally getting to put on those, the wedding gown for the first time. Right. And on her wedding day, she walked down the aisle with her 90 year old father. Mm. To the sounds of the Boston gay men's chorus singing wow. in a church. It was a church ceremony. And uh, it was an incredibly powerful experience. <sighs> And, and working with her was a gift to me, mm-hmm. something I will always remember because I know that I kept her safe. Mm-hmm. And I know that I, I, she, I don't know. <laughs> I, still, I get it. It's been, it's been 10 years, right? Or maybe 11 now. Um, and I still get choked up talking about it because you know, Joanne was an, is an amazing woman. And uh, it was a gift for me to be able to have that kind of experience with her. And I think this is a piece that many, many people who tend to like get on their soapbox of, well, why do we have to have this, these inclusion laws and all this sort of stuff? It's like, I just want to sit down with them. And sometimes I do and look them in the face and say, but what if you weren't accepted for being you? What if you weren't included because of who you are? And, you know, a lot of times they're, they're the extreme right wing Christian types. And they're like, well, we're discriminated against too. Well, you're discriminated against too because you're taking it to the point where everybody else is supposed to bend to your thoughts because of your religious beliefs. It's a completely different thing when it's a belief versus this is who I am, you know, and it is such an interesting space to play in because you got to find the right languaging and you got to find the right way to not just fight about this, but to say, help me understand, help me see you. And excuse me. I remember it's probably a couple of months ago. I happened to be in a conversation around this. And I said, you know, I don't want to fight about this, but here's what I'd love to do. Help me see you and I'm going to help you see me. 
And the person just kind of stopped and said, I don't understand what you're saying. I said, that's probably part of it is when we get to these spaces where we can't see each other and we can't hear each other, we can't get this done. And I said, here's the thing. I'm a dad. I have two girls. I have a loving husband. We've been together 18 years. My girls have been raised through this complete journey from the time they were four and 18 months old. They are highly productive, very well-balanced young women out there in the world, both of them heterosexual, both of them doing their thing. And my husband and I get up every day and live life just like anybody else does. So now I've let you see me. Let me see you and, and let me see why this is such a problem for you. And the person really didn't know what to say. But it was because I came at it from the place of this is my reality. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I didn't come from it like, screw you, fuck you, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes this is the thing that's missing in these moments. And even friends of mine who've said, Rick, you should be doing diversity and inclusion work. And you and I talked about this before we got on the podcast. It's not really my thing, but I think it is a part of my thing of, yeah, I, if I could just talk to people like I just described, yes, that would be my thing. But I think that's a part of the story that people miss is if you can just kind of let's be real with each other, things can change pretty quickly. And I'm sure you see this a lot when you start having these conversations in your work. I do. Honestly, I am not the type of person that is looking to change people's beliefs. I am simply trying to change their behavior. I am out. I will tell my story. I will be vulnerable. I will talk through all of it with anyone. Yep. I'm not ashamed of any part of who I am or any yep. part of my story, including my, I was ashamed about this for a while, actually, but I'm over it now, including my gay divorce, mm-hmm. the, the, the gay wedding planner who got gay divorce. That mm-hmm. was some baggage I carried around with for a few years. Anyway, I, I'm focused on behavior, not beliefs. Mm-hmm but I'm willing to be as open as I can and have conversations about our children and have conversations about how I was raised in Catholic church and and all of that stuff to find common ground. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, the work I do is focused on changing behavior and changing it in a systemic way, right? How can we change systems and structures and, scripts and forms and all of that to be more inclusive so it becomes something that we don't have to think about as much and it becomes something that is a little bit more automatic Mm -hmm. and part of our process that's what i work on with organizations and that's such an important approach and i'm very similar i i i I used to not be i used to be like you need to change your belief system Mm -hmm. then i realized Mm -mm. they have a right to their beliefs and I'll respect that. And as long as it doesn't hurt me and that's all I want them to do is realize I I want you to change the behavior. I don't care what you believe. You can have that belief system, but if that belief system causes you to behave and hurt me, then that's not okay. And that's not okay in any way. It's not okay. Whether you're black, white, Asian, gay, straight, whatever it is, Christian, non-Christian, I don't care. And 
when I finally got that, first of all, it helped me like lose a ton of stress <laughs> out of my mm -hmm. life. It's like, okay, the fuck you is now out of the picture. Um, mm -hmm. Not all the time, but it, most of the time it is. And it helped me start to really realize, okay, how can I see this differently? You know, in fact, we were at an event um, last evening and it was an LGBTQ event that we do here locally. And there were some conversations about the current, you know, political climate and, you know, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and all this sort of stuff. And I found myself stepping into that space of, okay, let me just hear and understand you. Yet part of the people that we were having the conversation with, they were not stepping into that space. And I thought, this is so interesting, not that I'm claiming to be some fabulous guy, but it's so interesting how much more logical you can become when you stay in that space with someone who can't because you don't let it get under your skin. You also learn when to walk away. Like, okay, we can't, we can't have, we can't make this conversation happen. We can mm -hmm. try, but it, we can't. And that used to would have drove me nuts. Like, no, you got to get, no, I don't have to get you to that space. Obviously, we just kind of, we don't see things similarly and that's okay. Not that I want everybody to do that. So what has been something that's been really challenging for you when you're doing this work? Like any entrepreneur, I think the biggest challenge for many of us is trying to convince the world that, that we have something valuable to offer, right? right. I mean, it's, I spend an awful lot of my time doing business development and sales and building yep. relationships. And I actually enjoy it. I really do. But I'm incredibly passionate about the craft, right? Mm -hmm. So having a little bit more balance there would be, uh, would be nice. Right. I wanted to get back to something you said, though. Sure. A business coach said to me a while ago, it's your job to preach to the converted. You're not trying to convert people. You're trying to preach to the converted and help them realize what they don't know to be mm. even more inclusive. Mm. And, uh, and that really stuck with me because, yeah, I, I don't want to spend my time and my energy in, in conflict or I'm not trying to land Chick-fil-A as a client, you know, that, or Hobby Lobby. That's not... It's not how I see my business growing. That's an interesting perspective because one of my good friends who <clears throat> he's very much in social media, been New York Times bestseller, just great guy. His name is Chris Brogan. And um, he and I were talking not long ago about my speaking business. And it's probably been a year or so ago. And it was at a time when I'm like, I'm just so tired of speaking, but yet I want to keep doing it, but I want to, find a way to get my message out there about everybody's got closets and all that stuff. And he said, Rick, you know, here's the thing. You got to sell them what they want and deliver to them what they don't even know they need. And mm -hmm. it's the same sort of concept as what you just talked about preaching mm -hmm. to the converted. And that doesn't mean you come in and you pull a Houdini on them or <laughs> smoke and mirrors. It's like, yes, I'm going to come in and teach you about what does it mean to have cohesion and you know, have your teams playing on the same field and really understanding, you know, how to get along in a diverse work environment. And, you know, you throw the right buzzwords in there, but then you also give them that piece of and help your team understand what true inclusion can do and how true inclusion can work. And then you really come in and you deliver those pieces. But most people need to know, okay, 
you're going to bring me something that kind of I'm kind of safe with. And then you're going to deliver something that they're not even expecting, but yet you're not going to be like, surprise, guess what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's this interesting balance I think we have as, and I'm so glad you brought up the entrepreneurial piece because I want to touch on that too, that we have this beautiful opportunity to take this message and our conversations of what we do to the world in a way that teaches, expands minds, helps them see and think differently as long as we come at it from that place of, I want to make this a better space for all concerned. And again, I love how you said, I don't want to change. I'm not going to change your beliefs. Now, some of those beliefs might actually change, but that's mm -hmm. not what the intention is. Right. All I want to do is change the behaviors. And it's been interesting for me as a guy who came out late in life, to be in the situations with, you know, the spouses who are on the other side of the fence mm -hmm. and have to practice what you brought up because it's like, no, I don't want you to change your belief that you think I'm an asshole. I'll, I own that piece, <laughs> right? I own that piece, except I don't really own it the way you want me to own it because no, I did not get married and intentionally do this to hurt my wife. Mm -hmm. And this is a bad belief that so many people have. What I will own up to is, yes, it was kind of a shitty thing that happened when I finally realized I'm going to be me. Right. But on the flip side of that whole thing is, let me help you understand this. I'm still not going to change your belief that you think I'm an asshole. But what I want to change is how you're behaving towards me and how you're behaving towards other people who, in a time when many of us ended up following this particular path, was because that was the way the world was. You had to bury this. You had to hide this. You couldn't be this. And I find that so interesting that it's very similar to what you're talking about, Bernadette, is this piece of what have we become so accustomed to in our daily work lives that just this is the way it is. This is how we show up. This is what we do. And then suddenly, and it's interesting because I live in, in an area where it's very, I'm just going to say it, it's very white. Mm -hmm. and but not racist it's just very white and it's interesting to see somebody of color and my husband is hispanic so you know he kind of sticks out in this area but to see how people interact not in a, again not in a racist way but you can just kind of see the interactions are a little bit different and I think it's so important to see these things so that we open the eyes and we get people to that space of it is about the behavior more than the belief. I agree. And I think was it Harvey Milk that said the most radical thing anyone can do is to come out. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, but something to that effect. And it's kind of amazing how vulnerability, and this is all Brene Brown speak. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> Vulnerability is incredibly courageous. Yep. But in the workplace, it can be really powerful to create as a leader to be vulnerable yes. and to share whatever struggles that leader has and whatever happens to be going on personally or in the past. Mm -hmm. Sharing those stories and, and actually storytelling in general creates psychological safety. And it 
inspires other people to be more authentic and show up more as their full selves and share more of their stories. And it, it seems like a simple thing. Obviously it's hard to do. Being vulnerable is, is not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really can truly make companies more productive, more innovative, more everything just by having a leader who does create that sense of psychological safety. And when I'm doing a talk about that with clients, I talk about my divorce because I, I touched upon it a little bit, but seriously, going through a divorce as an LGBTQ wedding planner with clients who saw me as role, a role model and mm-hmm. former clients who saw me as the only lesbian they knew who had a kid and they want a kid someday and people in the industry when I was a leader in the industry, right? All of this stuff was pressure that I put mm-hmm. on myself to not show up authentically. And it was a very difficult time because I felt like I pushed myself back in this closet of, mm-hmm. um, of hiding. And also because I moved on very quickly. I, had, right. I, I got a new partner very quickly. And there was even some, some shame around that too mm-hmm. and how that could be perceived. All of that meant that when I was working with clients and when I was doing trainings, I was checked out sometimes. Yep. I was not fully there. I was not fully present. I was not doing my best work. And I'm sure it was, I'm sure people could tell, but it's certainly, now I, as I tell that story, when I'm doing a training with a, a corporate client, it's a way for other people to think about and I asked them to reflect on it, you know, in what way might you not be showing up? What might be mm-hmm. something that you're not bringing uh, to work? And it could be something like, you know, a, a, a physical or mental illness. It could yep. be an addiction or something in the family. It could be who you voted for, little things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be something as big uh, as your sexual orientation or your gender identity. Well, and I think so many people do hide themselves because there's a fear of not being included. If I show this side of myself, then suddenly I could not be invited to the lunch table. Mm -hmm. I could not be invited to, you know, the happy hour after work. I could not be invited to the conversation in the hallway, you Mm -hmm. know? And as you were talking through that, it's so fascinating because I came out, And I was still at the company that I worked for through that whole journey. And it was a company that there was a predominance of LGBTQ people. And this was in 19, the late nineties. So definitely a different world back then. And even in that world, while I was embraced and it was hospitality company. So that made it even, even more easily to be embraced because a lot of LGBTQ people end up in the hospitality industry. It was fascinating to me to start to see the people who were really looking at me like, hmm, you were a a guy married to a woman, a straight guy, and you've been pulling the wool over all of our eyes. And how many people took that kind of personally, but then it also caused me to quit sharing so much. After the fact that I came out, it's like, okay, I'm not going to share a whole lot in certain circles about this because I could tell there was tension, you know? Right. 
And yeah. it's such an interesting thing. And I always encourage people when I have talked about, you know, these sort of things, because I used to talk at colleges and universities about this stuff all the time is a make the assumption and B don't make the assumption about why somebody's behaving the way they are in the workplace. If they're really quiet and withdrawn, you could make an assumption that something's going on that they don't want to share and B you could not make the assumption just go, that's who they are. But most of the time I tend to believe it's more a, there's like, I'm afraid if I say this, and especially with my clients who I work with coming out of the closet a lot, it is a huge conversation we have. So how do you want to show up at work? You've suddenly declared this beautiful, authentic piece of yourself, but how now do you want to show up? <laughs> because in 30 some odd states, it's still ill. You can actually be fired for being gay, lesbian, bi, or trans. So it's a big conversation. It's so fascinating, Bernadette, because so many of my clients, they don't even know that statistic. Not that I think they should, because they're just struggling to like even figure themselves out, you know, but it's such a fascinating space to play in that these things, whether you're, like you said, gay, straight, bi, whatever, it could be anything that's keeping someone from fully showing up. And then the organization goes, why aren't they being productive? Well, have you asked? Have you really asked maybe why they aren't being productive? That doesn't mean you as the manager, but maybe you, you know, you get them to say, hey, we'd like to have a conversation with you. You get the HR person in there with you and go, you know, we really want to be supportive here. And we know we just feel like something is going on for you and share what you feel like sharing I think most employees, if that trust is there, now that take, that's a whole, not, Bernadette and I could go off on a whole thing about how you build trust and all that stuff in a, in a corporate environment. But when employees start feeling that they can trust and they like where they're at, it's amazing how much more they'll fully show up. Absolutely. It's the emotion of rejection. Mm-hmm and exclusion is incredibly powerful. Yep. And, and I would bet that at some point in anyone's life, they can reflect back on a time in which they felt rejected or they felt excluded. Yep. And to take this back to my work in the wedding industry, I was working with couples who were terrified of being rejected mm-hmm. and they were in many cases, being rejected by certain family members, Mm -hmm. right? And through the course of planning something which was supposed to be joyous, it can really change the dynamic. It changes the emotion. It makes the actual experience of the wedding that much more emotional and and heavy, I I think. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I was very passionate about teaching wedding professionals and just so it's still very part of my passion today is wedding professionals it's your responsibility to come out so your clients don't have to Mm -hmm. because otherwise they're picking up the phone and they're calling the photographer and they're hoping that the photographer accepts them but they don't know and they have to come out over and over again because chances are the photographer is assuming Mm -hmm. that they're a heterosexual couple and so really teaching my, the, my folks in the wedding industry to be advocates for these couples was yep. a key part of my vision and my mission. And it's still part of what, it, what my work is today is really building 
a world of advocates, building a world of folks who have your back. Yes. To keep others safe from feelings of rejection and feelings of dismissal. Because a lot of folks can relate to that. And so anyway, when I'm doing a training, I use different storytelling techniques and emotional mm -hmm. triggers to build this kind of empathy within the audience members and give them very practical tools that they can use to be allies and even more importantly, advocates within their own organization. So before we wrap it up here, Bernadette, if somebody's listening who is an employer, who is, okay, I know I need to do this, what is one simple first step for them to just start moving in this direction where inclusion is a part of their overall plan? Well, it's kind of a big question. I know it is. <laughs> I hesitated as I'm saying, like, okay, this could take a whole nother podcast right in and of itself, but... Yeah, I mean, it depends on where they are in their journey. I mean, they yeah. might already have an inclusive anti-discrimination policy where sexual orientation and gender identity are protected. So, I mean, it could be that they have some policies in place. I mean, ideally, they should also have transgender inclusive uh, health benefits, right? So looking at the Human Rights Campaign Corporate Equality Index and basically making sure they have all of those boxes checked Mm -hmm. so that they have the policies in place to have an inclusive environment, at least on paper. Yeah. Right. Yep. So that having that in, in place on paper, the policy side is really important, but on a practical side, when it comes to the, I'm going to say soft skills, yep. the, the cornerstone of any sort of diversity and inclusion initiative is unconscious bias training. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I highly encourage any sort of leader and manager to take. I offer it, but when I'm talking about unconscious bias, I come at it from a perspective of the assumptions we make about others, the mm -hmm. accidental assumptions we make about others and how they can be harmful yeah. and how do we, what are the, some of the solutions? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great starting place. Actually. It's like really understanding what unconscious bias is so that you can you can understand it a as a leader and under help your team understand what that is and in its simplest terms i love that you you said it it's the assumptions it's the assumptions we make about others you know and that's so important and i know as and i'll tell this quick little story before we wrap it up but i remember right after my husband and i not right after we were together, but we had moved in together. We had bought the house. So the girls were, you know, they were shuttling back and forth between our home and my ex-wife's house. And we, I lived close to the school. I was already working for myself. So I was volunteering in, in the homerooms and stuff. And I remember one of the very first times I went to volunteer, uh, it's me and all the moms, right? I'm like the only dad, right? And they're like, oh, so what did you and your wife do this weekend? And it's like, there it was. Mm -hmm. There it was. Yeah. And it, and even as a gay man, I know I do this sometimes. You know, I will throw out something like, oh, wait, you know. Um, so last night's a good example. We were at our local pub event and these two guys walked in and I could see all the guys looking at these two guys like, 
okay, are they part of us or are they not part of us? Because they, mm -hmm. they kind of had the kind of the rugged look, but yet it was kind of like, well, they could be, you know, and because I'm the host, of course, I walk over and I'm like, hey, are you guys here for the LGBTQ um, pub night tonight? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, cool. You know, but I know there was a lot of assumptions being made of, are these two like straight guys? Because they, they could have, you know, just the way they presented, they could have been just two straight guys that happened to pop into the pub, which that right. happens anyway, right? But sure. it's just this conscious bias that shows up in all of our lives is really the place to start and really the place to make the moves. Well, let me just add to that real quick. When I took, so I do keynote speaking and it's right. my very favorite thing to do. And when I'm starting a keynote and talking about the assumptions we make about others, one of these stories that I tell is about gaydar. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. gaydar is based entirely in assumptions. Gaydar yep. is a form of unconscious bias. It is very <laughs> right? much so. Yep. And I don't know about you, Rick, but I've guessed wrong. Have you ever guessed wrong? Yeah. Never. No, I'm a hundred percent, hundred percent, you know, right on, never had a strikeout <laughs> and I'm lying through my teeth right now. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, I, so I tell a story about my gaydar being broken, right? You know, yeah. I, I made a move and I guessed wrong. Right. And, uh, and it's something that people, they, they laugh, right? Cause I'm, of course. I'm making fun of myself mm -hmm. and it's a way to engage people in this conversation without them feeling judged. Love that. Well, Bernadette, thank you so much for being here. This, I've loved this conversation. It's given people some really great things to take with them to think about whether you are the person running the business or you're someone sitting in an environment where you're like, I just don't know how I can show up or you could be that person sitting in that work environment going, how do I have these conversations? And um, I'm so glad we did this because it's very, it's always very poignant, but I think right now, given where we are in the world, the more we can continue to wrap our arms around diversity and inclusion, the better we make the planet. So thanks again for being here, Bernadette. Really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you, Rick. It's been a pleasure. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping into living your life uncloseted.